Hey all you listeners, we're finally at the second month of these podcasts. I just wanted to take a moment and thank you all for your immense positivity and support. If you've been enjoying the content so far, be sure to follow or subscribe on whatever streaming service you use, as well as follow on Instagram at What's Not There Podcast. It really makes a big difference. So, without any further ado, on to the show. Part of what I feel we can do is, as conductors, as programmers, um, to make sure works by BIPOC, by, by minorities, are presented and are heard. And not just Absolutely. heard, but also also commissioned, that new work is commissioned and so forth. And that's also the, what a joy it is to, to perform and present music that um, is written by people um, all of, from all over the world and that con- con- our world consists of and, and how narrow-minded it is to just focus on one, on, you know, the, the, the white male European, dead also. I do want to talk about new music and music that is being written right now mm-hmm. because it's something both of us have a deep passion for. Mm-hmm. We have similar tastes. Yes. You've called me crazy on several occasions <laughs> in, discussing, in discussing my music tastes. Uh, uh, maybe I go a little too far in some places. Who are the composers you're really respectful of? Who are the people who right now are keeping you inspired? Yeah, I, I, in, a, in a second I'll answer that. But um, maybe, maybe one of the reasons why I said, you know, you, or your music list or your programming was like, whoa, that's out there. Um, is because, I mean, as you said, I, live, I grew up in a, in a Bavarian village. There was, and, and in my growing up, there was no focus on new music. And so... I really got to learn and love contemporary music um, during my studies and then seeked out more and more. But uh, that was not part of the, the, it was, you know, it's the very traditional um, Bavarian, uh, you know, diet of Mozart, Haydn, Beethoven and so forth. (laughs) You're over 31 million seconds in a year. How many of those precious seconds do you spend listening to music binging the latest series, reading poetry, consuming art and media on a broader scale. In this series, I, Stefano Flavoni, am joined by the top artists of our time to discuss the method of our madness. As Miles Davis once said, don't play what's there, play what's not there. This is a special one for me. Christian Reif is, put quite simply, one of the most engaging, talented, and inspiring young conductors of our time. It's crazy to think that our friendship has lasted years and sprung out of a single week. Maestro Reif was set to conduct Shostakovich 13 Baba Yar with the Berkeley Symphony during his tenure as resident conductor of San Francisco Symphony. And I was his assistant conductor that week. After a few days of problem solving, I went up to him during a break and asked him, Hey, do you like Bruckner? And without missing a beat, he goes, I love Bruckner. And that was that. 
It commenced several years of nerding out over music, deep conversations, and a beautiful friendship I truly treasure. He's by far my favorite person on earth to work with, and I have learned so much from his intellectual, yet completely natural sense of music making. He's the person who told San Francisco Symphony, among many other organizations, including Lakes Area Music Festival, to bring me on as assistant conductor. Because there's always a sense of mutual trust. And I think that's what makes his music making so great. He's human. As a conductor, he blends the perfect amount of leadership and vulnerability to immediately convince an ensemble to come along for the journey. It's not always the case in our profession, and it only works when an incredible musician and person is standing at the podium. That's why I figured I'd start this episode off with sharing some things you might not get in an interview or a concert program bio about this person. First off, I have seen this man eat a dozen deviled eggs by himself in one sitting on more than one occasion. Next fun fact. Because we're about the same height, when he was moving to Munich, he gave me a giant box of clothes, and I'm an only child, so it was the first time I've ever had hand-me-downs in my life. And when I finally got tickets to see the Bayreuth Festival in Germany after five years on the waiting list, I paid him a visit in Munich, wearing his old leather jacket without even realizing it, and the first thing he says to me was, hmm, that looks familiar. And before I embarrass ourselves further, Christian and I, on average, spend at least three hours per week brainstorming ideas for concert programs, usually at the dead of night in either one of our time zones, either real and upcoming or entirely hypothetical. We've introduced each other to so many new pieces and composers, and I'm so excited that the world over gets to experience his incredible music making. And in this episode, I'll include clips from his performances from his time as music director of the San Francisco Symphony Youth Orchestra, one of the best in the world. It's so good to see you. It's always so good to see you. How are you doing, my friend? Good. Overall, very good. Surviving? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Absolutely. I mean, I am, I'm in a privileged position to be here in Munich and, uh, yeah, together with Julia. And we're still making music. Of course, I miss conducting, but the, I've conducted twice so far. Two weeks. Well, you were just in Stavanger, right? Yes, yes. And that was, oh, it was so good. It was so nice to be with an ensemble, to make music together, connect. It was really good. Yeah. How was, how was it being? Was that your first time in Norway? Uh, um, yes, uh, basically, yes. For, for more than a few hours, yes. <laughs> and you got certainly more than that quarantine <laughs> for two weeks. 
<laughs> yes, we so that that surprised us actually. We were in London and Julia was singing with Philharmonia there, um, and so then the the quarantine regulations changed and we had to go, go fly directly to Norway instead of coming back to Munich. So uh, yeah, we had to quarantine there. I had to buy a new suit, <laughs> and then sounds about yeah, right because I didn't have it with me, of course. Um, of course, but yeah, so that was worth it absolutely. I mean, we had a really charming cottage there um and and we actually had a lot of work to do so that was fine <laughs> hey i'm sure it was fantastic yes. so you just did a tiny desk concert which was wonderful thank you thank you you've been keeping your piano chops up i've been playing way more piano uh, in the last few months here yeah, or since march than i have in the years before i mean other than the time that we played together um, that is true was... we did do a four hands recital yeah, together yeah. way back when yes that's that great that was a lot of fun and and of course you know i've, I've i had kind of my bi-weekly or monthly meetings with uh, with Peter Grunberg and just playing through forehand repertoire so that was always nice in San Francisco but yeah in the in the past few years um in the past few months I've just played a lot more piano and I'm enjoying it very very much and um, playing with Julia Fantastic. it's it's wonderful to make music together and to have the you know the possibility the opportunity to make music together and uh, but for me it's it's I also know or realized again that for me, it's not the same. I still, I want to be with an ensemble and make music with them. Of course. Yeah. I feel you there. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I mean, we just went into even harsher quarantine here in, in California. So yeah. more cancellations to come most likely, unfortunately. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a weird place to be in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I have to ask. So you started on piano, but you also played clarinet for a while. <laughs> yes, and also saxophone. What, what, what would it take you to become a woodwind player again? Uh, oh, way, way... No, I think that boat has sailed. <laughs> well, FYI, I have a, a vintage 1967 alto saxophone sitting right next to me. I was going to ask you to play it next time you're in California. Well, I, I have played. We're yes. going to take you out of yeah. retirement. We're going to take you out of retirement. I don't know about that. No, I mean, there, there was a time in the past, I would say 10 years now, um, that I basically played clarinets twice a year. And that was at Christmas at home, you know, making music with the family. And then at Oktoberfest, just to, you know, play some Danzelmusi and some, some polka band. And prosit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I used to play in a, in a polka band, so that, you know. That's amazing. <laughs> that, That's amazing. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yep. So you grew up in Bavaria. Mm -hmm. You grew up in a very musical household. Yes. What was that experience like? Because... As you know, I did not grow up in a right. musical family, so it's it's always been fascinating for me hearing your stories. I mean, I, in some ways, it's very. I mean, in some ways, it's a lot like people think of musicians. You know, oh, you, oh, so your parents do music, and oh, so music was everywhere around you, and so you just played, and you know, it was fostered and supported, and yes, it was like that. I mean, or pretty much my my mom was our or is our you know 
was a major uh, influence and uh, she's a piano teacher and uh, taught music at school. My dad is a, a anesthesiologist, a doctor, so he always appreciated music but didn't play or actively do anything with music. But he was very supportive also. And uh, yeah, at some point I just asked my mom when she taught a lesson again, and she likes to tell the story obviously, but um, at some point I asked her, why do you teach other people piano but not me? So then we started. I was, I think, five or six or something like that. Adorable. Yeah, and then so I just started um, playing piano. Uh, my brother at some point started violin, my sister cello and also flute, and now is studying voice in Hanover. And uh, yeah, we always played a lot of music at home, a lot of chamber music, um, classical, but also kind of more the... Uh, my mom had a... a, a uh, salon and dance orchestra, uh, youth orchestra, so that was consisted of all our friends and us, and so we, we played a lot there, <laughs> all kinds of 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s too. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. And clearly it worked, because now Tommy is... Right, my brother is, is one of the concert masters. really enjoy yeah. He's Yeah, yeah he's, he's one of the concert masters of the Bayerische Rundfunk, Bavarian Radio Orchestra here in Munich. And um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a phenomenal artist and great uh, violinist and great leader too. And uh, yeah, we've, we've always, I think we've done every possible collaboration um, from, you know, obviously just I'm playing piano for him or playing duo, but playing Jamie music trios, playing, um, he was playing solo with an orchestra when I was conducting, or uh, he was playing concertmaster or in the last stand of the second violin. So <laughs> we basically did everything. And uh, yeah, so, so that actually our musical taste is very much alike. And also when we play now for fun or, you know, last time for my mom's birthday uh, a few months ago, um, it's we breathe the same language, we breathe the same phrasing, it's so easy, we don't have to discuss much because it's all there, we, we are on the same page. And so that's Beautiful. really fun, that's always been really wonderful. Beautiful, and that's not a, an experience a lot of people can share, so. Yeah, no, I know we are very lucky in that way. Fantastic, and how, how has the acclamation been moving back to Munich after so much time in the US? It's been really good. Um, I, I love the city. I love Munich. I mean, I'm not in, really from here. I'm from Rosenheim. 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 Yeah. It's basically, it's half an hour southeast from here. So, yes, um, very close. Um, I love the countryside here. I love the Alps. I love um, this city has so much, you know, history and culture and uh, art, architecture, and um, also the English Garden, the park is beautiful and big and right five minutes from our home. So that was uh, a big, um, well, big part of why we wanted to move in this neighborhood. And uh, it's been really nice coming back. I miss my my San Francisco family, which you're part of, of course. And there's so many, so many honored to be part of that. <laughs> no, we've done so much together and have so much, you know, so many hours of talking and uh, debating and philosophing and <laughs> music and so it's at all different at hours all, of exactly <laughs> and, and so no, there's so many people that i i do miss um but i love being back in europe i do have to say um, it's home yeah it's home and um there's so many possibilities and opportunities here of course now there it's a little trickier this year but um these these seven years i've learned a lot 
in America. I mean, being, being mm-hmm. first at Juilliard, then at New World Symphony in Miami, and then San Francisco Symphony as resident conductor. It's been, um, I learned a lot and it's been really good. And I've, I've got to conduct a lot. And yeah, that is something that, I mean, as you know, every conductor needs to conduct to improve and needs to have that experience and uh, to stand in front of an orchestra and, and yeah, learn learn from them as much as you you know you tell them what what your ideas are but um so i've been very lucky in that way and in some ways i probably well i probably i probably conducted i mean you never know and every conductor's career is different but i probably conducted more there than i would have if i'd stayed in europe but you you never know i mean i might have gone a different route and gone into a, a opera theater and play piano first and then kind of with uh, as a corpetitor for the singers and then kind of with dirigierverpflichtung with some duties as a conductor as well but in this way it was the american kind of assistant apprenticeship um, um, was very beneficial for me and i'm very lucky to have had this experience and now be back in europe as well and and I mean, last season until March, um, I've kind of had 50-50. My engagements were in the States and in Europe. Um, so it made sense to be here. So there is there is a bit of a different system that the American system of the, I think it's, I think it's somehow related to the culture. It's very tied with competitions mm-hmm. outside of the opera house. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Europe, as you mentioned, it's like a slower track. Yeah. You start at the the keyboard and then work your way up. You've worked with so many American orchestras. I mean, Dallas, even ensembles like Ice, mm-hmm. where the, the repertoire is so avant-garde. What do you find that's different between American and international musicians? Because I've heard differences in sound, and I've heard other people speak of differences in sound and in technique and in priorities. Mm-hmm. What do you think is, is the main driving differences? Um, it's it's a little tricky to say because in some ways we're very international now. It's yeah, there's a globalized there's a sound. globalized sound, and there are very very few orchestras that you can now say, okay, well that's that's that Vienna Phil mm-hmm. sound, that's that sound. You know, um, it's it's more globalized as you said. Um, but but I would say in terms of um, also rehearsal process and kind of the the. Um, I feel American orchestras at the first rehearsal are very, um, are quite well prepared. Whether they have rehearsed or practiced the piece before, it doesn't matter that I'm not talking about that, but somehow um, you start at a, a certain level and it's a lot is about just playing together and playing the, the accuracy of an ensemble. That is mm-hmm. one of the main priorities I feel in American orchestras, which has its advantages for much of the repertoire and some sometimes it's not as important maybe. Um, you want to focus on some other things and then it it can be hard to break out of that. But um, and in, in the European orchestras, and again these are stereotypes and these are just, you know, big broad statement that don't, there are so many exceptions of course, but sometimes the first rehearsal is very, very chaotic, much more chaotic than in in maybe a, even a lower uh, quality orchestra. I'm putting against a few quotation marks in there, but uh, in in America, so so it's at the the very first rehearsal, you just you just get to know each other somehow. You get through the piece, um, and 
Uh, not that they're major train wrecks, but it's clear. Okay, well, we got some work to do, and then, but then the the orchestras here in Europe also, I, I feel they they're very quick and really um, there's such a trajectory. There's more possible in term in terms of rehearsal um, time. I feel in most of my engagements here in Europe, I've had much more time in rehearsals than I had in the states, and sometimes so much that you well that you definitely feel like okay well we can end early you know like like a good chunk an hour earlier so if you have a five hour day um and you have four of those or you know then you, then there's there's there comes a point in the day in the rehearsals where you're like okay well let's just let this marinate and let's let's go you'll go home and mm -hmm. get a coffee or a beer or something like that um definitely in, needed sometimes exactly and in in american orchestras it's more uh, the, the rehearsal process is so much quicker and it's more you know there's a two and a half hour rehearsal there and then there's a double rehearsal in the next day um which is only two and a half and then another two hours and then there is one uh, dress rehearsal so those are kind of four services and then it's the concert and in, in I would say most European orchestras you have much more time not in England you know that's different mm. that's a, that's a, a country of efficiency exactly that's, that's very very much so and they're I mean they're amazing that's so quick to I mean they, they will immediately change that um, they hear they're not together and in, in a minute wild. together I mean it's 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 wild yeah um, but it's very hard to to find I mean, you do, to go deeper than just stereotypes when I talk about you know okay this is the American sound or this is the European way of focusing on more flexibility possibly or more. Um, well, I'm asking mainly because you've been educated in both, right? Which is a rare condition to be in, and not only that, you grew up in a traditional musician household mm -hmm. in. Bavaria, mm -hmm. in a small town outside of Munich, <laughs> yep. growing up with music. So your perspective is is extremely informed. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I, there are many advantages from, um, or many experiences that I can draw from in that way. Yeah. And that I, I, I'm very lucky that way. The Maybe another, another difference is that I've feel but that is also not for every orchestra um but that there's more of a sense of or more willingness to just talk about music in rehearsal mm -hmm. maybe because there's more time but mm -hmm. um maybe europeans just like to talk about music a little bit more and americans they want more efficiency this is in rehearsal i would say um, oh, of course um but again, there are so many exceptions, <laughs> and and uh, and a good conductor should, as you know, just should just be able to show everything with his or her hands, and then um, talk as little as possible. But that's kind of the way we get trained as well. But uh, mm -hmm. I think there's so much to just philosophize about music. But sometimes there's no time uh, in a rehearsal process, so yeah. you have to you have to kind of pick and. Um, Sometimes it's just there are a couple of sentences to say that shift, the, as you know, as, that shift the character, shift the atmosphere and immediately the thoughts and ideas and also the ensemble's mind. Um, and that help a lot. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned how, how we get taught. So I do want to talk about a long string of really impressive mentors you've had in your life. I mean, Dennis Russell Davies, 
Alan Gilbert, Michael Tilson Thomas, and even more. I, I'm just curious what your thoughts are, because uh, clearly mentorship has been a major factor in your life mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. What what would you say about about that trajectory? Um, again, I feel very lucky, very lucky to have these mentors in my life. And uh, I mean, I've, I've been, I'm in touch with all of three of them um, fairly regularly. Um, there's been a, a few years that I haven't uh, been in touch with Dennis Russell Davies, but um, but now I was invited to conduct his orchestra. But uh, it's they're all they're very different. Um, they're I mean they're all American. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, funnily, the interesting thing. Funnily, yeah, um, Davies was my teacher, one of my teachers in uh, Salzburg at the Mozarteum, um, and he's I mean he's been working for decades in Europe, uh, but uh, with Alan in um, at Juilliard, he was I mean. Coming from Salzburg, I, I thought it was very stressful studying there, but um, but then coming to Juilliard, it was a whole different animal and even more intense. Um, but they were very exacting, both of them, very much. Um, I mean, there's, there, we talked so much about music, uh, um, but but in the in the um, lessons themselves with an ensemble, um, both interestingly, um, we're talking a lot about the upbeat. I mean, that's mm -hmm. one of the crucial things as a conductor, right? The upbeat. <laughs> and uh, so th there was a lot of talk about technique. Um, in comparison to um, to Michael, where we rarely talked about technique at all. Um, I mean, again, with, with Davies and with Alan, I was studying, I was a student. So mm -hmm. of, course of course we talk a lot about technique, among all the other things. But um, with Michael, it was interesting. He he's very much interested in the storytelling of music and in the drama. Mm. And he, I mean, himself coming from a um, actor and theater um, family. Uh, One of the most famous the, in history. Exactly, also of the Jewish theater and uh, Yiddish theater. And uh, they, he, I mean, he is basically a, um, regisseur, a, a movie director or theater director exactly. when he's on stage yeah. as well and talking about the music. I mean, he, um, that's very interesting. And um, But I remember so clearly the first time we met as well, that was my audition for New World Symphony. And he just asked me about the character of his... I mean, he talked to me about the character of the music and asked me what I w was thinking and then asked me... Um, well, okay, that's all good. And he agreed, okay, but how can you make the audience hear that? What, does, what do you need to tell the second horn player or the fourth horn player? Do they need to play this softer? Do they need to play this longer, shorter? Um, don't get into philosophy with them right now. I mean, this is all in your head and all your ideas and you have, you have to kind of make it all come together. But what is the, the detail that you have to tell uh, a um, English horn player of, or, you know, their clarinet. Um, and that was very interesting to think about all these little details and things as well as the big picture, um, obviously. Mm -hmm. So, um, and Michael has been instrumental um, for, yeah, for many years for me now, just our talks, our conversations, especially, I would say. Um, 
and and talking about programming too but but more or less about but the idea of music and that was i i feel very lucky in that way beautiful beautiful well we mentioned storytelling what other because i know you've been reading a lot what other <laughs> artistic uh ventures have you been getting up to in quarantine because i know it's a, a period of more or less discovery sort of rediscovery creativity or thinking outside the box what what's been in keeping you inspired outside of music um outside of music well funnily enough the, for for many months after march when I, so after middle of march i did not listen to music i did mm -hmm. not i did not touch a score um i played piano but i I didn't, I thought, okay, well, at, the, at that time also, I thought, well, it's going to be a few months and then we're back into it, right? Um, yeah, we all thought. Exactly. And I thought, okay, if it starts in next season, if it starts in September again, okay, I'm fine, I'm happy, okay, let's just take this break and, and you know, um, use it in different ways. And uh, I've, I mean, Julia and I, we have never been together for this long at a, you know, at, a, at, a, uh, at the time. Um, in one go <laughs> so it's mm -hmm. been really really nice to spend all this time together and and cook more and uh, discover that you know what you like in that way what you like being home and uh, but I've been yes I've been reading a lot just because I wanted to get to know um, reinvest again in the culture and in the political and social landscape of Germany because um, yeah, as you said, I've I've been gone for so long. I've been gone for seven years, and and before that, I was a high school student. Or you know, it's yeah. it's uh, it's very different as a as an adult and then coming back. And so I've I've been diving into a lot of books and podcasts about the political structure and politic uh, politics here, um, and also of course after. Um, and I mean, not just after uh, the murder of George Floyd, but um, before that already, I, I just, I needed to, I wanted to educate myself and needed to know how we're standing here with racism in Germany. And I did, I had a feeling, but I, but I was shocked how little I knew. And um, I, I read, I don't know how many books I read, up, um, but by, by German authors, um, uh, black German authors, and that was very illuminating. Also things illuminating that what I have never learned in school. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that Immanuel Kant, who I, whose, whose ideas everyone reveres and, and he's so important for enlightenment and, and, and structure a, divide, a division of power and so many things and human rights but you don't learn or actually at least I didn't learn that he was the one who came up with the the, the divi division of races of human races which is obviously not a biological fact I mean a biological fact is that we are all one human race but he divided um, that race into different colors and gave the 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 um, proof, or he called it, or they called it proof, um, for or or the legitimacy for colonialism and for slavery and so forth. Um, so that's um, I, I, that. I mean, that is just one little or a huge fact, but one um, 
fact that shocked me and there's so many and the history of Germany and uh, uh, in colonialism as well um, everyone thought uh, just said in school oh it, uh, you know England and France and Portugal they were all way worse but um, the first uh, genocide uh, in the 20th century was done by Germans um, in Namibia and uh, so the um, and the Hereros against the heroes and things like that we don't we didn't learn and i find that shocking and disturbing very frustrating so since then i've been um, much more um well just educating myself and 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 obviously being in in conversation with many many people and uh, of course julia is very very vocal um about it all and has been has been all her life and we've this is not the first year that we've talked about racism mm -hmm. and <laughs> obviously um but, of course, uh, of course. And, but, but before that, we were in America. So, it, you know, that, that was different. Um, and uh, when you talk to people here in Germany about racism, it's, it's, it's very difficult because people um, don't understand that we have all been raised and educated or um, uh, in, a, in a racist society. And uh, so when Absolutely. you say that something is racist, everyone says, oh my God, no, 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 I'm not a Nazi. How dare you? Then they, go, they go, get so defensive. How dare you um, call me a Nazi or call me racist? You know, they equivalent that. But that uh, being, I mean, every Nazi is racist, but not every racist is Nazi. Um, and so... Precisely. That, that is Precisely. a concept. And, and so all these books, I mean, uh, maybe the best book, um, uh, I mean, we... I guess most people who will listen are um, English speakers or Americans. Uh, but but the best book I found here in Germany um, was by Tupoka Ogete called Exit Racism. And it's kind of a, it's a, similar to Me and White Supremacy. It's kind of a workbook. I mean, it, I'm saying similar, obviously it's hmm. different, but it's, it's um, um, yeah. Yeah, the exit out of happy land, because we all kind of live in this happy land. And but when we educate ourselves, we break out and um, and it's that has been very, very illuminating. And so many others, too. I mean, I could tell you a, a list of books, but they're all written by German black authors. Um, anyway, this is this, <laughs> this is one uh, big uh, subject. Um, that I've been educating myself, but then others too. I mean, the the um, and just now I am reading this book uh, by the psychologist um, Alfred Adler, um, and um, it's fascinating because I did not know about Adler. And you know about Jung and Freud, um, but Adler is the third mm -hmm. giant in that time, um, and very much controverse to uh, or contrary to Freud. Um, I didn't know, so that, that's uh, very interesting. So I'm just uh, trying to. Um, read whatever comes uh, into my hand and uh, um, educate myself that way, develop that way. It's so important. I mean, just yesterday I read, um, it's from June, but it, it was called uh, An Open Letter on Racism in Music Studies. Mm -hmm. And it was actually um, a black female former professor at Syracuse University. Uh, Professor of Music History, and it's a very long letter detailing the sort of colonialist backbone behind the entire field of ethnomusicology, mm -hmm. where there's this sort of 
white supremacy, unspoken white supremacy in a lot of white scholars studying world cultures, cultures they're not a part of, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and sort of looking down on or silencing even scholars from within those cultures, within those backgrounds. And there isn't a lot of, ironically, BIPOC uh, existence of, of faculty. There isn't, uh, there aren't those voices being allowed to be heard or even existing um, from within faculty. Mm-hmm. So regardless of whether people are studying it, uh, who are part of non-white communities, uh, they don't have structural uh, institutional voices. And it mm-hmm. gives this whole Rudyard Kipling white man's burden colonial vibe right and yeah and it's it's a view that i haven't had the ability or the audacity to say myself but it's it brings up a lot of really important points that we need to address in the study of music that yeah ethnomusicology uh needs to be just musicology and uh, we need to be race blind in terms of who can study things and who can present on things in conferences and uh provide for right. equitable education not equality. right without without erasing exactly without erasing the 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 identities precisely but yeah that i think is is the point we can't separate ourselves from ourselves yeah there really is no objectivity no in any ideas we have yeah we're all formed by our experiences and those experiences are important and if they're problematic experiences we yeah. need to address them. no exactly and now and it's important to but to not shut out the voices that don't you know that don't sound like us or precisely you know, don't sound like me but to listen to the voices with uh, different experiences and 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 support them definitely Definitely. And you and Julia are definitely vocal and active on that front. And thank you. No, and, and I mean, uh, part of what I feel we can do is as conductors, as programmers, um, to make sure works by BIPOC, by, by minorities are presented and are heard and not just Absolutely. heard, but also also commissioned, that new work is commissioned and so forth. And so definitely. I think that we... And that's also the, what a joy it is to to perform and present music that um, is written by people um, all of, from all over the world, and that con- con- our world consists of. And and how narrow-minded it is to just focus on one on you know the the, the white male European dead also, but yes, you know. Yes. Um, <laughs> We we are living in the here and now, so I'm I'm I think it's important to hear those voices now and uh, and if if I can help you know make everyone listen definitely that's that's one of part of my job. I do want to talk about new music and music that is being written right now mm-hmm. uh, because it's something both of us have a deep passion mm-hmm. for. Uh, we have similar tastes. Yes, uh, I. You've called me crazy on several occasions <laughs> in discussing in discussing my music tastes. Uh, uh, maybe I go a little too far in some places. 
who are the composers you're really respectful of? Who are the people who right now are keeping you inspired? Yeah, I, I in a in a second I'll answer that, but um, maybe maybe one of the reasons why I said you know you, or your music list or your programming was like whoa that's out there um, is because I mean as you said I live I grew up in a in a Bavarian village. There was and and in my growing up there was no focus on new music and so mm. i really got to learn and love contemporary music um during my studies and then seeked out more and more but uh, that was not part of the, the it was you know the it's the very traditional um bavarian uh you know diet of mozart haydn beethoven and so forth <laughs> but um no i'm enjoying and i i the, the voices that inspire me right now um oh a, a new voice that just um i found through also through julia and through also Elim, um elizabeth ogonek i've hmm. found a very um very fascinating i don't know her personally um but um and i haven't uh, been able to program her music yet but i just found her um and she writes very interesting music uh, Chin is someone very fascinating and um, i i i haven't deeply studied her music yet but i i want to and i will say her acrosticon yeah. is one of my favorite pieces that exists and Anna Torvaldsdottir, we've talked yeah, uh, about so, so, so course, many times. And Ridiculous composer. No, she is, and and I'm I'm so happy I was able to program and perform some of her music. I mean, she's a, obviously she's a huge deal now, um, but but her music is uh, is very, um, well, yeah, it, it touch touches someone or it moves you in in many and sometimes uh, glacial ways. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. exactly. And, Brucknerian proportion <laughs> without Brucknerian length, let's say. Exactly, or yes, <laughs> exactly. And what another composer we share our oh. love for? <laughs> well, in a completely different way. Yes. But uh, yeah, that's that true. was the start of our friendship. That's true. Uh, that's true. You came up to me at uh, at, at rehearsal for for Shostakovich. The first yeah. rehearsal. Yeah. First rehearsal, yeah. and you're like, you know what? I just need to ask you. Do you like Bruckner? <laughs> I said I love. And you said, I love Bruckner. <laughs> and you're like, okay, fine. <laughs> can, right, it, it's, done. it's done. It's done. We're good. We're exactly. good. Thickest thieves. <laughs> yeah. No, there, there are many, there are many voices that inspire me, and and whether they're composers or or not, you know, it's it's, um, yeah. I think I. And it depends which mood I'm in, I have to say. Mm -hmm. um, it shouldn't feel like an intellectual exercise listening to music, um, f but you have to connect, or I like to connect in some emotional level as well. Although when I study music and I find I can nerd out, uh, as you know, we've nerded totally. out plenty, um, but about uh, I can nerd out about one bar or one interval for hours. So. Uh, <laughs> You're telling me I have diagrams all over uh, my house right now of of harmonic structures in in Tchaikovsky because that's what I'm teaching to my students. Right oh, now. very nice, very nice. Yeah. Oh my yeah, god, yeah. it's a mess. No. I mean, and also, um, I I I do uh, think John Adams has a unique voice and you a unique American voice as well. But um, 
has uh, his Harmonielehre. The first time I've heard that piece with an orchestra, it was just incredible. Difficult piece. Very difficult piece. He writes challenging music. Very, yeah. Approachable. But, uh, approachable. But challenging, challenging to play. Yes, but also I think, and and I mean, obviously, I I've, I mean, I listen I with Julia singing a lot of his music, and uh, I've mm -hmm. been you know listening to her practicing or you know getting his music into her body into her mind a lot, and it's yeah. it's she's. Um, I think if when you have a key, when you have a way of just phrasing it, embodying it, um, it's not as difficult as it looks. It's, I mean, it's very difficult, but you have to, you have to find a way to internalize it and then just um, speak it and phrase it. And yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm speaking from the experience of, if, if you look at the music, I mean, obviously, Chamber Symphony and Son of Chamber Symphony are masterpieces and extremely virtuosic yeah. for everybody involved yeah. but the, even the, the full orchestra pieces if you look if you look after gospel of uh the other mary mm -hmm. gospel according to the other mary his style is so radically different you get almost this it's sort of like varese mm -hmm. or even like john coltrane where you get these sheets of harmonies yeah. and they're yeah. all interlocking lattice structures so like i was playing piano on the saxophone concerto mm -hmm with Tim McAllister yes. playing yes. saxophone. That was one of the hardest orchestral piano parts I've had to learn um, in my life. Just because it's so, it's it's idiomatic, but insane in the, at the same time. Yeah. I think he knows how to bring people to their personal limits. Uh, or what yes. is what is the limit for each individual instrument? Yeah. But you have to go there. Oh yeah. No, and, and, and I wouldn't, it wouldn't be complete without, the, maybe my favorite piece of his is El Niño. Mm. And I wanted to talk about your particular uh, relationship with that piece. Well, yes, I, I mean that um, that piece is very close to my heart. It has been since the first time I heard it, actually. Um, but now, uh, for Julia's uh, a few years ago, for two, Julia's uh, at the Met Museum, um, we orchestrated or re rearranged um, like a good hour of. El Nino, and I mean, as you know, it has in its original form huge forces. I mean, a, Massive. a full choir, a children's choir, a um, six soloists, um, a huge orchestra with all kinds of extras and so forth. And um, so, for for the the Christmas or or pre, I would say pre Christmas uh, concert of Julius in the um, cloisters up in Manhattan. Um, we performed this for four soloists, so soprano, mezzo, uh, bass baritone, and countertenor. In the original, there are three countertenors. Um, and then with an ensemble of 14, 15 people, and uh, it worked beautifully. Julia rearranged it in terms of where the, the numbers, basically, with the, the order of the numbers, um, to, to make sense in a shorter version. Um, and obviously without choir, although we did some some of the numbers we did in the in the quartet, uh, which was quite beautiful. And um, yeah, that 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 piece is very special. The nativity story, but um, and told with from with original source material. Um, also, yeah, it's both in English and and Spanish. And in Spanish, yeah. yeah. I was going to mention the the multilingual aspect yeah. of it. I'm. I was encouraging a couple of people with 
rather large church gigs to seek you out actually uh to to do that instead of a sort of messiah sing along i think i think we should i think we're done with handel for a bit yeah uh yes i mean there's nothing for wrong unethical grounds right, right. <laughs> the music is the music the music is the music uh, the music but is, it's like we were, we were talking about with kant before yeah, yeah you can't ignore some things no no um i mean and and there is I mean, and and we've talked at length about Wagner previously. Uh, 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 yes, yeah, he's right behind you there. <laughs> yes, everyone points out the the Wagner portrait I have next hanging next to Marks above my bed. Yep, yep. No, no, I see him. <laughs> um, I always, I mean, there's, in some way, I, I hate, I hate his character. I do not like yeah. the man, but I absolutely love and adore his music, and that's just yeah. yeah. But and I, it's 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 challenging. Oh, yeah. It's individually challenging. It's it's a weight put on us. Yeah, but I, I, I agree. I think El Nino should be played way more. And in this this um, pared down, not it's not a pared down. It's really a new version of El Nino. I would say, it's yeah. it's uh, it's a yeah it's a chamber version of El Nino, but it doesn't lose any of its intimacy uh, or it, it actually gets more intimate. Um, but it doesn't. It's so direct still and definitely so beautiful i mean that that piece um yeah i definitely want to do again <laughs> i mean when when i saw the recording i mean it's on youtube yeah. poignant yeah. yeah it's it's available online watching it back uh it's it's quite incredible yeah. and it's it's interesting that john adams i think has broken through the sort of um kind of halfway house that minimalism of the 80s sort of resigned itself mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. or was kind of pigeonholed mm -hmm. into um i think his music's going to last a very 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 long I time i agree because i think he his music his character is um yeah he combines many different um streaks or not not genres but but um without Hmm. How to say it? I mean, there is there's minimalism in obviously in his music, but it's also very um, they're they're wonderful tunes. They're, oh, of course. And and the, his call writing is incredible, and it's um, it's both harmonious, but also has the right amount of dissonance. I don't know. There's no, nothing. It's it's cinematic, but it's not movie soundtrack. You know, it's it has yeah. so much. Um, uh, intelligence but also in immediacy in emotional connecti connection i'm so happy that uh, now there's more um, awareness of his music in europe um, because when i left mm -hmm. to america from salzburg i did not know much of his music and um, it was not played that much here maybe people knew about um, short ride short ride in a fast yeah, exactly. machine yeah um and play that as an encore or something but but really his his other music and his operas and and the, the el nino and gospel and that wasn't really played much and so now obviously also berlin phil does and and he's been artist in residence there and so forth compose in residence um so now there's much more awareness and his music gets played so that's that's great mm -hmm. definitely what do you think the role of some of the less approachable or less immediately approachable composers' music lies in our repertoire? I'm thinking Boulez, Murai, um, 
more of the the mid to late 20th century avant-garde structuralists where where does that repertoire fit in our canon does it belong solely in a new music ensemble? I don't think so. Um, I think. I mean, and I've I've had I've had struggles with their music when I was in high school, but then I, mm -hmm. the more I studied, the more I became fascinated and, um, and and loved their music. Um, and I, I know you're you're huge. Uh, Belay's fan also. And, and don't remind me. <laughs> I only have six of his books standing up on a column right next to me. I believe you. Um, yes. No. I think. Um, I think. Every. There, there shouldn't be necessarily specialized, um, only specialized perform uh, performers. You know, only playing. Also, the new music ensembles. I think also there players should be playing other music as well as you know the the the, the, the baroque ensembles should not just be playing exactly. baroque music or you know all the on the and the symphony orchestra shouldn't just play uh, the big symphonies but they need to play chamber music as well and uh, all Definitely. of it so i i don't believe there should be such a category such categorizes a uh, category category sorry um but but obviously there are people who just specialize in certain repertoire and do that better than others. But mm -hmm. I don't think you should always then forget the rest of the repertoire and not let. I think Boulez inspires so much of our of the sort of other canon repertoire, and and the the also the language and the um, colors of Mural or um, also Grise and you know other. It's I think that's. All of them have their place and their um, and their influence, and for sure, yeah. I I have not done much of their music, I have to say, um, but yeah, I would like to. I, it's it's quite interesting because uh, one of your mentors, I think, way back when had the right answer to all this, and we're talking about, you know, the eighties were categorized basically into two folds of like late modernism. You had the avant-garde new music ensembles and you had the hip ensembles, mm -hmm. the historically informed mm -hmm. performance. And I think the two are very, very closely connected. Mm -hmm. And you do see a lot of overlap between people who focus on Baroque music mm -hmm. or early music and then people who focus on new music. There's a ton of overlap, less overlap than one and or the other with standard symphonic yeah, ensembles. I would agree. Uh, people who just generally dare to be a little bit rebellious a little yeah, bit different yeah, and yeah. and really invest their intellectual and emotional experiences into yeah. their music and it's in a different way it's a diff a less traditional way yeah. uh in a weird way but alan gilbert famously gave several talks that i very impactful for me when i was maybe 13 14 15 when i when i heard them or read them uh about how we, how programming is supposed to go, mm -hmm. um, and he mentions the bolero effect, where we sort of program a, a piece that is so incredibly marketable that will guarantee to fill the house, and then that's where you pack <laughs> the really incomprehensible new music, even though the audience is completely different for the people who want one or the other. Yeah. Um, so there's a responsibility to educate. Yes. 
as much as program. So I'm, I'm curious what what you glean maybe from your years at Juilliard, where there is such a presence of new music, where there is such yeah. a, an impact there, especially while Alan was there and, and involved in the pedagogy. And where you think things might go, given that we're in quarantine now, I mean, you've had experiences with Soundbox and alternative venues. Mm -hmm. Where do you think our creative energies might be directed right now? <laughs> wow, that, that's a big question. And that, <laughs> I packed a lot you in packed there. packed a lot in there. I mean, first to say uh, about uh, programming um, contemporary music, I, I agree there needs to be, you know, you, you can... The, the Bolero effect is very interesting and, and certainly that can work and works. Um, I don't think f the approach of a, um, oh, here's your broccoli and here's your one uh, five minute uh, 21st century or late 20th century piece mm -hmm. um, that, that you guys need to listen to now and then comes the real thing, so to speak. Um, I don't agree with that. That's not what Alan says, obviously, but um, I, I, I think uh, a lot of especially a lot of young people, I think, have more awareness or have a quicker understanding or Im immediate connection with music of today than, mm -hmm. you know, people in their 50s or 60s or 70s. Not, I mean, this is very stereotypical, uh, maybe of me, but, um, and there are many uh, contemporary music lovers in, that, in those age groups too, but um, if you don't tell them that this is hard and this is edgy or something, they'll just, they listen and, and see if they like it or not. And I, I, the experience so far has been that if you perform it well, and if you, uh, if you believe in it, they'll, they'll take it, they'll, they'll ask for it and they'll, they want to hear and listen and like it. And uh, so I think the broccoli approach doesn't quite work. And um, I want the, <coughs> I want real meat of uh, new music as well um, obviously you have to strike a balance not every concert is a new music concert and but you shouldn't market it either as okay this is the new music concert only you can have festivals mm -hmm. that are devoted towards that but um, but yes uh, about how we're what we're doing creatively creatively in the future is very tricky to answer obviously are, are we talking uh, Corona uh, future well, that's or are we talking I think after? It, I think, yeah, I mean, do we have a future that won't have some sort of battle scar from Corona in store? Uh, I mean, for, for me, the, it, lots of there, there's so much that is happening virtually now and um and some really interesting concepts and some really interesting um projects ideas how to connect how to um how to really tell the story or musical story online um but for me there's nothing that comes close to live music and the live concert experience you have to be in the hall be away from all distractions um, I mean, here, if you if you watch something on Zoom or watch something on online, you can always still check your phone or go or get a beer or mm -hmm. go to the bathroom or whatever. Um, and but but in the concert hall, you're there, you're present, mm -hmm. 
sure some people might fall asleep okay uh, but others are right there there um, and and are in the spirit in the moment connect uh, both physically um, being in their seats and uh, spiritually with everyone around them and I think that experience will happen again and that experience will never be uh, dethroned <laughs> through a virtual experience for me at least you mentioned spiritually what role does music have in your personal spiritual life if you have one um i well i grew up uh you know catholic uh, as a mm -hmm. as a bavarian <laughs> and hard not to exactly and and so that's I uh, went to church. I was a, a minister. What do you call this? As uh, um, a ministrant. Uh, I don't know what you call it. Altar boy. Altar boy. Yeah. yeah. I was an altar boy. I played a lot in churches. I sang in churches. I conducted in churches. Um, so church music in that um, was was important to me. Um, in 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 many ways, I've um, I, I would consider myself spiritual, and music plays a big part in that. The, the connect connection between people that is not through touch but um, through well through audio through the experience through well the, the spiritual of music spirit of music um, but I have a hard time believing in um, institutionalized religion um, I have a hard time believing in many of the um, of religious science, so to speak. I, I believe in science and, and many things um, go against that for me. But um, the, yeah, the, the spiritual aspect and the, so the, the, the religious music is important to me and the music of Bach is important to me. Mm -hmm. and, and so that, that I cannot um, shake off, obviously. How do we in a very secularized society, a society that more and more is separating from the supernatural, from the spiritual. How do we convince people that going to an orchestra performance or an opera performance is the sort of spiritual, personal food that they need if they don't believe in their own personal life? And this is a big question that I've, I've been tackling myself. This is a big question. Yeah. in many ways it it's a it's a communal experience mm -hmm. and yes we live in a very individualistic society most people just thinking a lot about themselves a lot about um, who they are and what they're doing and um, but I think that uh, there are, if, if we compare it to sports, there's, um, there's this aspect of, of, you know, cheering on um, people or uh, being, you know, being together and working towards something together. Um, I think way more than in sports, you have uh, food for you know, for your for your mental state, for your for your mm -hmm. spirit, for your soul, um, when you listen to music, and um, the for me the hmm, 
I think I think there's some something about um, we can talk about this for ages and telling everyone how great we feel music is and how great this experience mm -hmm. is. But um, unless they're willing to come to the concert hall, to the opera hall and just experience that for themselves, um, then we can talk about it. And, and we can, I don't believe that everyone has to love everything. Um, but then uh, there's, there's some sort of, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can make it drink. So we can mm -hmm. we can talk about all of this, but I don't. I think everyone needs to experience for themselves how impactful it can be to be, uh, you know, to 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 listen to Shostakovich and and uh, hear that music from the stage, watch it too. I mean, and be be totally with it and in it. I think words don't really explain what music can do to your body, to your mind, and to your spirit. question for you yeah about Shostakovich as you just mentioned sure. because you've done quite a bit of Shostakovich yeah I've done symphony 1 5 6 13 14 I'm going to do 10 in a few months hopefully <laughs> yeah so quite a lot big repertoire big repertoire and it's funny because Shostakovich is probably the composer who has probably the biggest um dedication to the uh, dedicated audience base mm -hmm. but is more split amongst musicians and i've seen a big split amongst conductors especially mm -hmm. so i'm curious what you think about his music language obviously the political aspects mm -hmm. of shostakovich are super important where do you think his role in the repertoire is and i ask this also because we met right we met from me assisting you during a shostakovich Rehearsal week. For me, Shostakovich is crucial in my musical thinking uh, mm. and also his style. Um, not that his style informs everything else that I do, but actually I would say more like my, my growing up with Haydn and Mozart influences my Shostakovich. Um, but mm -hmm. for um, his music, for me, is always... immediate and and it has so many aspects and obviously i mean we can talk about the political things too um and and his his balance act but um in many ways his musical language is very clear to me although obviously there's so many ambiguities <laughs> absolutely and uh but his way of phrasing, his his humor, his sarcasm, his irony, his 
his including or um, writing waltzes or marches, but then distorting them or how does he do that? I'm, I'm just in enjoying studying him. And uh, obviously I, I love listening to him too, but I love studying him and kind of digging into, uh, into the storytelling. And it doesn't have to be autobiographical storytelling or any, I mean, some music of his is, uh, whether there's some of the 10th or the 15th or some of the string quartet 8th, uh, but, um, but I love, for the first, for instance, uh, two weeks ago, or three weeks ago in Norway, I conducted his first symphony for the first time. And it was astonishing to, to study his music. This guy wrote it when he was 18, 19 years old. And, and it was still, you could see it, it's perfect. <laughs> and, and there are so many things that um, now having done number 13 and 14 of his symphony, mm -hmm. um, I, I see so much in this first symphony already. I mean, he, he obviously he has symphonies where he goes huge and, you know, it's all, it's very dramatic and very overburdened sometimes maybe. And then in the 14th with, with you know, just two singers and, um, yes, and, strings. and strings and, you know, two percussionists and cellist, it's yeah. so pared down. It's, it's in, um, sorry, I'm using pared down again, but I don't mean to diminish it at all. I mean to, that it's, it's crystallized it's more clear it's a distillation. A distillation exactly it's just and and that's what i love about him also with this first symphony he, it's a big orchestra i mean it's a it's a full orchestra um but he uses it so um balanced and so chamber music like i think that's what i love about mm -hmm. him he has so many chamber music um moments and then the uh, then the contrast to the big fanfare and kind of um whole world is tumbling down and the force of nature and the force of political adversity and so forth is all in there but um yeah it's it's fascinating and um i mean even just just also um having the divisi in the strings um it's was fair, fairly radical or was at least for him um, an interesting thing to employ at the age of 19 but um his music yeah it's it was also interesting to the during the first when he wrote it 1922 or something he uh it was still before you know he was he was the, kind of the hot shot after this uh, and after mm -hmm. the nose and it's uh he's he's a youth it's youthful and it's not he doesn't have to worry too much about political repercussions or um mm -hmm. not like after obviously the um fourth. the the fourth yeah or uh, um, after lady macbeth fifth. exactly yeah. yeah oh exactly and and the, the stalin's um article um but yeah it's it's so his music just um not just touches me deeply but um it's it's both that that third movement of the first symphony for instance he reaches down into depths that many you know 70 year old have experienced but not 19 year olds and and for me this uh, the first second uh, movement is so are so ironic so playful so humoristic um and and very much also influenced by his uh uh 
you know, piano playing in silent movie theaters. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Exactly. But then, then you come to that third movement, and I've, I don't I don't think I don't know if there is a program to this whole symphony I I don't think so but but I like to obviously as a conductor you study this music and you find your your reading of it and so this this third movement for me is just is an elegy a eulogy also I mean for for fallen this was right after the first world war um, and I'm sure he has he's seen soldiers coming back from the war and how, what that meant to them and what, what they've experienced. And, um, and so that is such a deep and tragic and beautiful and uh, movement. I know, I, I, don't know I, I could go on about Shostakovich for ages and I, I never get bored by him. There are move. I, I don't. I have not really been interested in looking at the second and the third symphony. I have to say, but um, they're in some sense also more propagandistic. But um, but but the others, I'm. I never get bored with him. And there are other composers that I do. <laughs> but it's the same with from, as we've discussed. As we have times. discussed. But for me, same thing with Haydn. Same thing with Mozart. I never mm. get bored. I get so, um, I, there's so many things that I, yeah, I find joy in. And it's sometimes just the way these composers, these guys have uh, changed the, the Großrhythmus, as it's called, or the, the big rhythm of, of, mm. of a phrase or where the turning point is, or um, that suddenly it's not the first and the third bar that are heavy, but he changes it or he cuts one. And, you know, there's so many little things that you can nerd out uh, over and that are just fascinating that then bring the questions to you as a performer. Okay, how can you make the audience hear those things? And how how can you make it clear? And that's wonderful. <laughs> I love that kind ties of ties very much back to your lessons from Michael. Very, um, yes, in in some ways, yes. Um, I think for uh, in that conversation, it's more programmatic, um, hmm. more the storytelling aspect of it. For me, in Haydn and Mozart, I don't try to find storytelling everywhere. It's um, it's more of of okay this is a this is a eight bar phrase and and what does he do with this eight bar phrase same with mm -hmm. with Shostakovich there is so many this is a phrase and so what does he do with it and what makes this phrase unique and is it just a general um eight bar phrase or you know is it then later on cut uh, and or is it a real seven bar phrase or so there's so many different things but these are the a lot of it has to do with humor and that's where Haydn and Shostakovich are similar I'm going to ask you a similar question that I've asked other people. What's German music? <laughs> German music. I don't know if I can sum it up, but um, things that come to mind when I think of German music are is folk music um, and uh, whether it's you know traditional folk music and, and um, uh, like Danzelmusi polka band as well um, as songs mm -hmm. um, Volkslieder um, you have that basically in any yeah in Haydn Brahms and and uh, Mozart also and um, architecture um, phrasing 
tunes, melodies, yeah. Harmony is, I mean, harmony is one of the, the major things. And I mean, maybe in, if, I, if I also compare to others, I mean, if I compare to, um, well, let's compare to French music. Yeah. Um, French music for me is way more um, atmospheric, um, mm -hmm. colorful, I mean, obviously, you both, we think about Debussy and Ravel and so forth, um, but but um, also not as many tunes <laughs> uh, necessarily. You know, there are, obviously there are, but um, um, outside of the theater, maybe outside of the theater, like Manon. Yeah, exactly. You know, of, of the Massenet yes, works. Yes, of course, of course. Rameau. Um But but um, thinking of Debussy, um, you know whether it's it's la mer or or fun or or la mer has tunes but it's too exactly can you can you hum anything from je <laughs> it wasn't a serious question i can't <laughs> they're all they're all motivics um, i may it's a little i i no <laughs> it's okay because bavuze did the four hands piano reduction and i asked him the same thing he couldn't either. seriously oh that's yeah. hilarious <laughs> Oh, I he love says that. hello, by the way. Oh, I love him. He's so he's so wonderful. I I'm Such was, a genius. This was my first concert that was cancelled in Corona <laughs> uh, oh, in no. March. I was supposed to do Beethoven Piano Concerti one, two, and three with him, and wow. Lyon, and uh, Fourth Symphony Beethoven as well as piece by Connaisson, and uh, yeah, uh, I was so sad to to not be able to do that one. I'm still looking forward to making music with him again. He's a good one. He is, yeah. No, but that's interesting. Uh, yeah, but so, yeah, German music. Um, yeah, I, I think. I think phrasing and architecture has a lot to do with the harmony. Um, very, I think of I, I somehow also think tradition, and traditional mm -hmm. music when I think of German music. Um, but I, at the same time, um, there are so many revolutionary composers, whether it's Beethoven or others, you know, that, um, that are German, but I don't, I don't know. There's, there's, it's just, it's core repertoire. <laughs> yeah, well, it's core for a reason. Yeah. Do you think, because we've mentioned Kant very early on, yeah. and maybe a less than stellar context, <laughs> um, do you think philosophy has something to do with German music more than others? I I would say yes. I say not a, not aesthetics, but no philosophy. Core philosophy. I think so. Um, yes, I mean, I mean, I would say Beethoven was very very philosophic as well, um, and and was thinking about philosoph uh, about big themes of the world. Um, and well, Strauss is an obvious example too, mm -hmm. um, obviously with Zarathustra, Nietzsche and, uh, but, and, and Wagner, um, yes, I would say philosophy definitely has a big, maybe more than other, other countries has a big, um, role to play. Yeah. You listen to jazz a lot? Um, not as much anymore. I used to listen to, well, I've, I've watched, 
a few months ago I watched the documentary of Miles Davis because I used to listen to him a lot and uh, love him and well love his music making very complicated yes. character as many are as many are but uh, his music making his choices are and his tone it's, it's incredible I love that but um, I I I can't say I listen to a lot now other than um, Jacob Collier. Um, oh, everyone is. Everyone is. <laughs> yes. is yeah, I mean, he is, I mean, he's a phenomenon. Um, and It's absurd. I mean, I'm thankful he's not a conductor because <laughs> he would get every job. <laughs> he would, no, his, his way of thinking about harmony is inspiring yeah. and, and also kind of validated so much that I've always thought, which was hilarious because when I watched uh, it a few years ago, I thought, yeah, I never could explain what I think about it. The, the kind of mm -hmm. darkness and lightness of harmony and the, mm -hmm. the over um, the fifths above and the fifth below. And, and the fourths. And the fourths, exactly. And, yeah. and the negative harmony The negative, concepts. exactly, the negative harmony concepts. I could never tell you what I meant. But but mm -hmm. um, no, he's, he's fascinating and such a nice guy and brilliant life too. I saw him in San Francisco a few years ago and um, he's, he's special. So um, yeah, I do enjoy listening to him. Um, and I, I, I use, I, you know, Nina Simone and, you know, of, of course, course. The, the standards. I'm not, I'm not caught up very much um, in, in the jazz world right now other than Jacob Collier. But um, yeah, no, I've, I've, I do enjoy very much. You mentioned Miles Davis. Mm -hmm. He's someone who changed the course of music like five, six times in his career. Mm -hmm. I mean, between genres, the inclusion of electronic music or electric instruments, um, assembling some of the greatest ensembles of any genre oh, yeah. that have ever been uh, in concert. Who are some of the revolutionaries today in our field, do you think? Who are the people who might have a similar role, if there are any? In the classical music world? Sure, mm -hmm. if we want to call it that. Yeah, although Western, so Western classical. Art, <laughs> yeah. art music. Art music, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I mean, there is a conductor that comes to mind. <laughs> um, the, but I, I don't know if I would call him that. Because um, also there are many things that I don't like. But I, I know exactly <laughs> who you're talking about. <laughs> but I do like listening to some of his recordings that are um kind of incredible and very exacting and uh but i don't like the when it becomes a personal cult about yes. a person and about complete control of the music making that is not for me that is not music making for me for me music making is connecting in real time and being flexible and listening and reacting and giving Definitely. yourself and and receiving and so i don't want to call that that conductor a revolutionary in that way i don't know it's uh um and it's it's challenging because listen i'll tell you did you do the spotify 2020 wrap-up where they tell you like what your most listened to tracks were uh, I saw mm. the first clip of mine, yeah, but honestly, I didn't listen to much this year. I listened to so... Oh, I, I mean, I think this was the year I listened to so few music. No, how do you say it? Um, 
so, so little so little so little music than never before i've yeah. read so much more than ever i've listened to so many more podcasts but i did mm. not uh listen to much music so it was very random <laughs> yeah i mean mine was like I, I i was in the same boat especially after march because yeah. it's a it's an emotional drain to have that reminder of what you can't do mm -hmm. you know uh but for the third year in a row that conductor was my top listen to artist for better or for worse so it's yeah it's like it's it's challenging because we both know the the stories yeah. the horror stories yeah. uh, no but and there's a sense of devotion it, but... there is and his 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 um his strength is definitely also recording i would say exactly Exactly. Um, because many of the it's things, a different art form. it's a different art form and how cool, I mean, how it's wonderful that, that, um, CDs can be that and are that are an art form. They're not just to perform, you know, and, and put together, um, mm -hmm. a, a symphony that has been, you know, played a hundred of times, uh, played in a, on a recording. Um, but it's so interesting and what one can do if, if you think, okay, the, the CD is a work of art. Exactly. And its own exactly. work of art. Exactly. I mean, it's not going anywhere. No. That's the thing. Recording, recording to me is so foreign. Um, yeah. Because part of, part of the benefit, I think, of performance is when we mess up, we know. Maybe some of the audience will know. The players will know. But it's ephemeral. It goes away. Of a performing. Yeah, a performance. Yeah. 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 It you have another night exactly. or another week or another piece to perform at some point. Um, recording is permanent. Yeah. And the pressure of that is it's, it's immense to undertake as you know, we've both done our mm -hmm. share of recordings in various dimensions. It's, it's a completely foreign concept to me still, mm -hmm. still mm -hmm. for me. I mean, we all know these, these, you know, uh, you have a performance and it could go either way. I, it, uh, there's sometimes there's something in this performing that you just feel, wow, that felt really good. Maybe not that piece, mm -hmm. that piece, but that piece felt really good. And it yeah. just had, had the energy, the audience loved it, but also you just felt really good. And then you listen back to a recording of that and you're like, what the hell happened? Yep. I did not have yep. that feeling and it can be, but it can be the opposite to it can be you're frustrated because this or that didn't work, but in the grand scheme of things and you listen back to it and it didn't matter that much. And it was still, it was mm -hmm. a very good performance, but the, it, it can be deceiving and that's, that's a frustrating thing. And for me, again, there's nothing that can best live music. Definitely. For me, the, the, the connection you have on stage and with the audience is unique and it and it is unique you can never play it back mm -hmm. and um and that's so special about it and i miss it dearly it was really the, the two weeks ago when i was able to perform and we were performing twice and sure there were only i think 300 400 people allowed in the hall um but it you know it, there were people and they were thankful yeah. and happy and enthusiastic and they were in it and it felt so good. It's like, like, yeah, like drinking water again. Um, it's been, it's really nice, but what's next? Uh, what's next is in Lyon actually. Yeah. So it's a, it's a redate. Oh. Um, 
but but not sadly not not in that program that we had in mind mm-hmm. it it was just the first thing that was able to be rebooked and um but but i mean i'm happy to be back there with this orchestra they're wonderful and um we're doing a piece uh, um that kind of combines science and music um it was pretty much set mm-hmm. i was just in, invited to conduct it and uh um but haydn creation for instance chaos and um, also a piece by Connison, Supernova, and uh, yeah, so we'll see. Um, I'm I'm just happy to be making music with them. And if we have audience, great. If we don't, we will stream it. Um, and yeah, and then I have another gig um, two weeks also in France in March. And everything else is cancelled. <laughs> C'est la vie. Uh, und es war Licht. Ja, und es war Licht. Oder auch gerade nicht. <lacht> <lacht> ja, ja. Oh, man. It's, oh, it's been too long. It has, it has. It's been, what, uh, a year and a half since we saw... No, no. a little less. Yeah, last August. Yeah. I was in Munich. Yeah, yeah that's right. Oh, yeah. Damn. Yeah, we had some beer, some, some Kaiserschmarrn. Yeah. <laughs> that was good no we have to see each other again soon we do we do uh last question mm-hmm. how do you unwind how do you get your mind off of the problems the big ideas pieces art society that's a that's a good question because sometimes these days i feel like it's it's never ending there's mm-hmm. the, the all these crisis we're living in and it's never ending and you tackle some and you or you try to work on some and then but there's so much more to work on so much more to be improved and and it's it seems never ending um sometimes that's very daunting i have to say um but i i think i i unwind best actually working out Hmm. going outside and that's something i've done way more now um since march um, just going into the park, working out. I have a TRX as well, and and so so you just do a lot of. I I mean, we have a gym right outside the door, uh, basically outside the next uh, the next building over. So when we were allowed to go, I went there and also did a lot of rowing. But um, just we have the park so close, and right now we're just um, Julia too. But I'm I'm doing a lot, maybe yeah, or three times a week or something like that maybe four um but just working out that feels good because that feels and that also seems to be the most productive thing i've done since march is to (laughs) take care of my body somehow and uh you know when you when you travel so much and when you're so busy all the whole time you just don't you don't and 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 work out or you know is not in your daily or weekly schedule and and in your mindset or that's how you work um then it's very very difficult to keep yourself mm-hmm. motivated to do something for your body but um that seemed that seemed really good and i feel so much better when i work out i feel good afterwards Beautiful. not while i'm doing it. then i i, I can't <laughs> stop complaining but <laughs> but i i know I, I love that and that's the that's where i can shut off i don't listen to music then yeah at all while you're at, while you're working out yeah, nothing no i don't i just no 
because then I'm, I can listen to my breathing. I can let my one mind wander too, but I usually just have to <laughs> think about how I'm working out. So, Does Julia listen to music? No. When she's working out or does, so her soundtrack is you complaining, basically. Oh, we don't work out together. Okay. okay. <laughs> no, 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 she, no, no, I don't think that. I was just trying to set up another dig at you, my friend. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, I mean, no. That doesn't quite work as well. <laughs> no, it's so good oh, to talk to you, man. Likewise. Well, we got to do this again. Absolutely. Each work of art, each artist, each person is another brick laid upon the choices, voices, and experiences of the past. Join me next week as we continue our journey to uncover what's not there.